Life Happens on SAFM. Life Happens on SAFM. Weekdays, 1 to 3 p.m. This is Bridget Masinga on SAFM. It wouldn't be black girl magic if we didn't focus on all things the crown. Uh, if you don't know what that is, I suggest then you <laughs> you nudge your teenager next to you and ask, what is a crown? Um, <laughs> we are talking to the founder and CEO of Afro Botanics and girl boss, Mdombentli Kachwana, joins me on the line now. If you've strolled the aisles of your local clicks, discam, wherever your pharmaceutical store is where you could get all your toiletries and beauty products. No doubt you have seen Afrobotanics flashing back at you. And they've been in the market for a couple of years now and doing very, very well. Um, and the primary focus is on ethnic black hair. And Tom Bentley joins me on the line. She's the founder and CEO of the company. It's interesting to me, Tom Bentley, that you started the company. You you started the company on a whim. You wanted to be an entrepreneur because you were bored with civil service, but you didn't quite know what you wanted to do. I absolutely didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, But I guess I was just following my passion, which you know, from civil service, which was to contribute towards, um, you know, rewriting African history. And um, I was inspired by Tabombegi's African Renaissance. Mm. So I think speaking about natural hair and, you know, changing the standards of beauty and how we see ourselves and how we define beauty um, is not too far off. Mm. Luckily, I found my feet there. Changing careers is not an easy thing to do. And it's especially not easy if you don't have a concrete vision, if the passion wasn't something that was innately in you to begin with. So where did you find that that courage and the chutzpah to be like, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm bored. I want to be an entrepreneur. So I'm going to do this. I think for me, just even today, Bridget, when you walk through our, our aisles in any store, whether you're at a Pashini, whether you're at a Pep or you're at a ShopRite or a Clicks, the fact that we, most of the products on shelves are not owned by black people mm. was something that drove me insane because obviously I was, you know, I studied politics and philosophy. And for me, I know that, you know, the cornerstone of rebuilding a more equitable society mm. lies in economics. So the fact that we're not producing, we're not owning, any means of production, whether it's land, whether it's mining rights, whether it's um, factories to produce products that are sold, um, that is something that is questionable and has to change. So my passion being the same passion that I went to study in politics, I brought it into business. And it's what keeps me from going when Mm. things get tough, because, of course, it's very hard to start a business in South Africa as a black female. I think it's very hard to start a business as a black female anywhere in the world. Because I, right. I would argue that your, you know, your counterparts in the US and Europe might have a similar story to tell about all the hurdles and the uphill battles they've had to fight in order to get their products on the stores. That is so true. I'm actually, you know, luckily through my business, I've been able to travel the world and connect with women groups from all over the world. And I'm part of a group of women who are black entrepreneurs in America and in the Caribbean, America. Mm. And yes, 
you're right. They struggle as much as we do, you know, in terms of lack of finance, access to finance, lack of access to um, to markets. Mm-hmm. They have it as hard as we do. But you would think that in a country, in a continent where it's majority black, mm. it shouldn't be that difficult. But um, I think that's where the psychological hurt is even deeper, mm. that it is more harder here at home than mm. it is in the States. I mean, it goes to the point that you were saying earlier on that the barriers to entry are really not in the hands of you know, black consumers or black businessmen and females, right? So the the gatekeepers remain people who will not give you that opportunity for one reason or another. And I guess that the primary reason is nobody wants you to be a competitor for their profit margin because let's face it, the beauty industry is a multi-billion rand industry. Even domestically, it is a multi-billion rand industry. It is huge, and it's a multi-billion rand industry that is, you know, patronized by black women like you and I. We are the decision makers of it, but the owners are either international um, multinational companies or they are not black men Mm -hmm. or black women. They were luckily, I mean, when I started out, there were some black men in in the game. But the point is that they were producing products that are mainly for women. Mm. So we should be doing that ourselves. Um, so it's, it's something that, um, you know, the decision makers, the buyers in retail, for example, a lot of the time are a white male. Mm. And they don't even understand what goes into taking care of um, a black head of hair. Yeah. What they care about is numbers, whether the product will, will move and, you know, the number of products they can sell in a month. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's very tricky. For, for black females starting a business, especially selling products that are directed at black females. Yeah. As we're having this conversation, Tom Bentley, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the politics of African hair, the, the, the politics of our crowns and our locks, and how that conversation is often antagonizing, polarizing, and still continues till today. I mean, you know, I'm recalling, I can't forget what it was titled now, but perhaps someone who's listening can help us out. There was a documentary that I think was narrated and co-executive produced by Chris Rock by Chris, that yeah. spoke about, you know, black females and our hair and the consumerism and taking that power back for ourselves. Yeah, the, the, the good hair um, documentary. That's it. When he came out, I was already in the business. And I, he, what he was saying was a thousand percent on point. Um, the fact that all aspects of um, black hair are not owned by black women. Mm. Um, and yet our hair everyone has an opinion about our hair. Yes. Um, so, you know, what, what I liked about the whole natural hair movement was, you know, black women reclaiming their beauty, the narrative around um, how we look, how we define ourselves. Um, but also what I liked, what I saw in America is that a lot of those companies, if you go to the equivalent of a click in the States, mm. the majority of products on the shelf um, for natural hair are owned by black women. Mm. So it also became a vehicle through which black women could now actually start entering um, mass retail. Uh, and that's opened the door for black female entrepreneurs to go into other sectors of beauty, of clothing. Um, or, or even, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of entrepreneurs in South Africa who are female who are in, in the producing products that are used in construction. Mm. So it, it was just such an important movement, I think, globally for black women to, to take control of producing products 
for their natural hair and also saying that this is how we are born, this is mm. how we look, and we own it. Uh, and therefore, we can own all other aspects of our lives. Dombetla, let's talk about how you tackle marketing and visibility as a, a relatively small business in comparison to some of the other brands that are there who have multi-million rand marketing budgets that are backed up by international conglomerates. How have you managed to get your product in the faces of your consumers? Yeah, that is such a difficult especially in South Africa in South Africa marketing and advertising is so expensive yeah. like to take out an ad in a magazine is no less than 50,000 rand mm. um, a billboard even more so so we were lucky to come into business when I started the business was 2011 just as Facebook was um, gaining traction so we use Facebook and a lot of um, testimonials, customer testimonials and um, referrals. Mm. So we've used um, a lot of Facebook and social media to, um, to to grow our awareness, so awareness around our business and our product. Um, but as we grew, we were then able to use, uh, you know, luckily we got into a retailer like the games and yes. the kids and the pick and pays. So they have their own channels that they use, which work well. So whether it's um, advertising in their pamphlets or mm. um, on their Facebook pages, where you do pay quite a, a big sum of money, but at least you know that you are hitting the target market by advertising through their channels. Yeah. But yeah, like I think the one thing about social media that it did was to democratize um, uh, entrepreneurship, yes. giving everyone the opportunity to put a product out and to speak um, and gain a voice on, on the internet. So social media has been very, very important for us. And we still spend a lot on social media. Yeah. But also marketing has changed now. True. Um, a lot of people prefer referrals from people they know. So that's why influencer marketing is a big thing right now. Yeah. And I think yeah. that also speaks to consumer patterns, right? When you talk about referrals, grassroots marketing, social media, that all really speaks to a, a, a sort of consumer um, pattern and a consumer cons- um, pattern of consumption where people really want to know the authenticity of products, where people get invested yeah. in the story of the product. Like when people find out that Afrobotanics came about um, because of, of also your interaction with your grandmother and, and doing her hair, which was just, you know, a chance routine grandmother daughter bonding session that led to this ignition of this love. To, to try and do things differently for your own locks on your own head. People love that story because they can relate to it. And it also gives them hope that whatever they are into, they're interested in bringing out into the market, commercializing, packaging, that that authentic story will resonate with the next woman or the next um, black family and they'll buy it. Mm. Um, but, you know, there are things, there are still segments where it's so hard to rely on that kind of marketing or that kind of story. And, you know, we recently went into manufacturing uh, eco-friendly household products. Like Mm. we have a a dishwasher range called Raindrops. And so imagine going and building a brand, going up against uh, sunlight, Mm. for example. You need to have the budget to go to the spaza shops and get the spaza shops, the spaza owners who are Somalian, who who don't want to hear from you as a black female, who don't care about your story to, to stock your product. So that's a whole new um, um, game altogether as well. But yeah. I think definitely the story aspect of things, people relating to me and my journey, the authenticity of it, and why I started the brand um, has played a very, very big part in terms of our success. 
We are talking to the founder and CEO of Afrobotanics and Girl Boss, and Domethe is joining me on the line. Uh, before we wrap things up, let's talk about Girl Boss South Africa, which is something you've just recently launched to empower girls. And uh, what's the concept all about? Girl Boss, uh, you know, I happened to fall pregnant when I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And when I fell pregnant, it was at the time when we weren't even allowed to go back to school after having a baby. Mm. And I felt so disempowered. I went through a lot of guilt and shame, which stopped me from pursuing my dreams as aggressively as I would have if I hadn't fallen pregnant. Mm. And I just felt like there's so much information that is still not getting to young women. Um, at this day, in this day and age, even though we have so much TV, we have all sorts of information on digital. Um, so we are sharing as much information and stories as we can for young girls to know that they determine their life. Mm-hmm. Um, our tagline at Boss is my world, my rules. Every girl needs to know that her life, it's her world, it's her rules. And she determines what happens to her body, what she does with her body, what career she she pursues what she prioritizes in her life that she doesn't want to get married at 24 Mm. that's cool so we're just sharing all of that information so that we raise a a more liberated and a more empowered um, generation of young women who will be leaders tomorrow and not have to rely on men to give them permission or validation to live the life that they want to live Dombethe Kachwane, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Congratulations on what has been a truly successful story with Afrobotanics. Over 37 products on the shelves to date and available at over 600 outlets uh, across seven African countries. So she's gone beyond South African borders. Goes to show that you can have a Bachelor of Arts in Politics and Philosophy and then decide, oh, hell, I want to do something a bit more creative and get into the world of hair and beauty and have a complete runaway success. All the best to you. It's just brought us to 20 past two o'clock. We're going to take a quick musical piece and then we come back and we cast our attention on the chaos that we saw unfolding out at Capitol Hill this morning. If you woke up and switched on uh, your favorite news channel, undoubtedly you saw what was going on in America. It was pandemonium.